Thank you, thank you. Uh, welcome. I get set up. I just uh, chime in with the chaos that Kip's referring to. Uh, don't worry about the floor. It was already sticky to begin with. Uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about chaos today. We're going to talk about uh, grace on the other side of chaos. Um, if there's anybody here I can't tell that I don't know, guests, welcome. I want to start out with just a verse that it doesn't apply anywhere other than how to, it just makes you feel like God is here. John 16, Jesus says, I've said these things to you, that in me you will have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know what's going on. I know that for us, there's a lot of stuff going on, and it's just chaotic. It, it's, there's stuff coming at you all the time, and we are in this series on Jesus outside the lines, and I just wanted you to feel uh, a peace as we start to talk about this. Um, I don't normally go through and recap each of the messages before mine, but in this case, I want to bring out something. So I'm going to go through and just hit some highlights. And, and for you four that spoke before me, this isn't all that your messages are about, but this is what I picked out. So uh, Phil started us off on this series, Jesus Outside the Lines, uh, and we're referencing the book by Scott Sauls, and we've kind of showed it to you a few times. In Phil's message, he mentioned, he talked about Paul praying that the church would be united in Jesus. And you need to say it that way and emphasize Jesus. That's our uniting factor. And the purpose is it so that the world will believe. That's really, that's our whole basis and that's where we're headed. And we need to take that through our life. He talked about the greeting that Paul used that indicated he was stepping across the lines of culture and race. He addressed the people. When he said grace to you, he was greeting the Greek. That was the standard greeting of the day. And when he said peace to you, that was the greeting for the Jewish. So he was welcoming everybody, bringing this message to everyone. Maybe I get some points because I was listening. No. <laughs> Phil posed this question, how will you reach across the lines? And that was a great beginning to our series. Well, then Dave Little spoke, and he talked about how religion creates lines that give us excuses not to talk to someone. I thought about wearing a robe and a white collar when I came up here this morning. And I'm not saying that's bad, so don't go away saying that's bad. The purpose of that is to show the, the sanctity, the specialness of bringing God's word. But we're people, so we get lost in that message. you know. And then we start to think that's a line that we can't come up to there. But it's not. Being on the stage is not something you can't do. You can bring God's word wherever you are. And so I didn't wear the robe or the collar. Dave talked about how race and reason, religion, can be designations that man assigns, that my, man has created, that function as lines that we have to choose to negotiate. And we still get that choice, but sometimes we're lazy and we fall into a line of thinking. Um, I like to call it a freeze-dried moment, where you've already thought it, you had a reaction, and now every time it comes up, you just have that automatic reaction instead of thinking about it again. So are we going to try to offer grace to others by crossing these lines? Well, the third week, Chris brought a great message, and I'm glad he did because that was going to, oh, no, I'm sorry, we switched weeks in there, and that gave me a little extra time to prepare this one. But he specifically talked about grace. He used the word grace at charis. And he talked about trading the shame and the guilt and the pride for the grace of God. 
and not just for us, but it's to give to others. And he asked this why question. Why do we do that? And, and it, it kind of falls back on if we understand who God is and we dwell in him, then we understand this grace that he's given us. And, and, and Chris used, gave us a new word, this super abundance that, that grace is, that it just keeps coming and overflowing, and he's got more than we could ever use. But when we receive it, it's towards us, we receive it. And then if we understand who we are, we're created in his image, we get to be the biggest grace givers around us, in our community, in our family. And like Chris, like Phil, Chris posed a question. Are you gonna be an accuser like Satan in Genesis 3 when he became the accuser? Or are you gonna be an introducer? Are you gonna go back and accept this grace and become an introducer to others of Jesus? Heather, I didn't get to hear her message personally, but I got to listen to the podcast and I saw a lot of feedback, social media and my wife. And this was huge because we're starting to narrow in on how it impacts us personally, these lines. And she talked about release from the lines that we've drawn into spiritual freedom. Now, grace in this message is where the man-made rules, again, in the church or outside the church, they slow us down. But God gives us this grace to go above and beyond. He gives us the ability to move forward with these gifts and this ministry that God's given us in spite of the lines that man has made. Now, it's obvious, I hope, that I'm talking about bringing all the grace out of this message. So in the midst of chaos, we have grace. And I'm gonna continue to do that throughout my message. But I've titled my message, Living at the Level of Debate, because it seemed timely. And uh, I wanna continue on with this, uh, this idea of exercising grace. So let's pray. Lord, I don't know, I guess I'll just say I want to jump in on where we're headed this morning with the, the momentum of our worship this morning. It's, it's said everything I want to say, but I want everybody here to hear that. You give us so much, and you keep giving us so much, and you work through us in our lives as a process. Help us to understand that, and then to live and accept it, and, and just be uh, bold in, in our talk, in our actions, and to bring this all. I ask that you give us hearing ears and a hearing heart uh, and changed lives. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm not ready for that yet. Um, in nine days, our nation's going through, we're going to be holding our 58th quadrennial presidential election. So that's your bit of trivia for today. But it's more than just the election and its accompanying debates to which I'm referring to when I talk about living at the level of debate. Everywhere we turn in all aspects of our lives, and if I give you a second to think about it, you think about every time you have an interaction with somebody, I bet 95% of them are thinking about what they're going to say back to you, and they're not listening. We live with the we encounter an atmosphere of one-liners, of these zingers, some put-downs, um, sniper shots, people coming out with clever comebacks, and there's a competition to have the last word. We seem to have forgotten politeness and clean humor and what a true debate looks like. A true debate can be very fun. It can even build friendships if you have different beliefs, but a true debate is fun. 
It's not putting down people. We seem to have made some of these lines that we've drawn more important than the people that we're dealing with. The same people for whom Jesus died for, to offer salvation. Um, if you've been listening to any of the debates, and I'm, so, I'm sure some of you have, and others have just heard about the debates, we're, not, we're seeing a lack of substance. There's not much agenda. There's not much plan. But there is a lot of rhetoric. There's a lot of name-calling. There's a lot of uncivility, which is just maddening to me. <laughs> I think we need to be above that. You know, does anybody know what an ad hominem fallacy is? If you've studied debate, <laughs> you know what an ad hominem fallacy is. And it really actually means, I think it's in Latin, to the person. So you redirect your comments to the person, not the debate, not the topic of the debate. And it's almost always used to discredit them or to put them down, to make them look bad, and thereby the train of thought invalidates their argument, their side of the debate. We've seen that a lot. We don't talk about anything except how bad the other side is or how bad this person is. It's almost like our public discourse and debate is more about discrediting others instead of developing a well-thought-out argument to discuss. So what is all this about? I kind of think it's about the product of these lines that we've drawn. It's about the, the lines we're drawn into. And I mentioned it earlier, we stopped thinking, we stopped doing research, learning and asking questions, but then we add into it our feelings of self-righteousness, our feelings of pride. And so we're not gonna back down, we're not gonna listen and say, oh, I was wrong about that. You ever thought about, did Jesus debate? Did he ever hold debates and then how long did they last? Uh, I, I started reading through Matthew and I started reading through Luke and it's really interesting because there are some discussions that start off like a debate um, like when he started his ministry. When, uh, when Satan came to him to uh, tempt him away, you know, it, what appears to be this debate, it was short-lived because Satan would offer a temptation that was actually a challenge to God's authority. It was a veiled challenge to God's authority. Jesus would turn around and and respond with scripture and it just shut the debate down i think it's a great example of how we should approach our discussions but it's also uh how we should value our time and value our words and our thoughts then again in matthew 12 uh, the pharisees raised their alarms they're coming out yelling about the disciples picking some heads of wheat and eating them on the sabbath jesus reminded them of king david and his men eating bread in the temple that had been offered as a sacrifice. And I wanna read this because it really points out some lines that the church has made, that people have made. Verse one, at the time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, his disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees th saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. So we're talking about laws in the temple and how they, they disregard them. Or have you not heard or read in the law and how the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are held guiltless? 
they profaned the Sabbath day and they weren't held guiltless. So these are man's laws that are not, they're not going to the spirit. He says, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. It's the son of man. It's Jesus that's the focus, not the Sabbath. Jesus responded with scriptures, yes, but more importantly with the intent and the meaning behind these scriptures. We're not to worship the Sabbath day. It's the Sabbath was used to point to Jesus in our worship, and it quickly ended the debate. Likewise, we should understand God's word and his design. And it is so important for us to understand being made in the image of God. And I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, Sherry and I gave a message speaking specifically about marriage and how the image of God impacts that. Chris really hit it home in his message on grace and what it means to be made in the image of God. And I don't think we can let that go. We've got to continue to start there. We matter more than the lines. We matter more than the rules. We matter more than the laws. In the case of our presidential election, we need to understand that the government is a representative of us. It's a representative of us as members of this society. I think the debates have actually exposed our desire for power over others, others on that side of the line. We must refocus on the understanding that we're all on the same side. We're sinners in a fallen world. So we, when we understand that, we treat people differently. And there's a lot of other issues. They're hot button issues. There's the backdrop of our American culture, which is still reeling and it's marred by racial tension. And, and actually, I don't even think it's racial tension. I think it's cultural tension because I think science proves there's only one race. Um, God said there was only one race. There's the human race, and we're made in his image. Um, I think that's a line that we draw. So I'm going to start my illustration here. I want you to understand this is a vessel that's us. And when we start to live in and among others, we get lines, and they infect our life. There are other lines. There's, oh, let me tell you a story. I just talked about race. Um, last weekend, the reason we weren't here is uh, my boys and I went to a father-son camp, and we had a great time. It started Thursday, and there were about 450 men and their sons. So a lot of these people we've never met. Most of them we've never met. Some we have. And uh, Thursday, Friday, people come in, and they set up camp, and you get to help if you want to help, help meet people that way. We met a, a fellow who used to be Amish. And uh, he lives 15 miles from this camp. Well, he lived 15 miles from this camp. But when he stopped believing what the Amish teach and he started talking about Jesus, he had to move. He had to move farther away. So he came back to this community and, and we talked about how hard it is to tell people about Jesus but he's not gonna quit trying to cross that line. And then some other people we met from different parts of, of central United States, um, St. Louis, inner city St. Louis, suburbs. So we're sitting around Saturday night at a campfire. There were five families represented there, 16 boys um, from little to big, and, uh, and they're having a good time. 
enjoying their s'mores, and it was a beautiful night. Stars were out in the big fire. And there's the dads. There's five of us dads sitting around on the outside. We're just relating, you know, what's going on, what we did for the day, talking about family, uh, marriage, our kids, things we're going through right now. And it got me thinking about, I, I, I don't like to talk about skin color, but there was a variation of skin colors in that, that group right there. And because it doesn't matter to me, the thing that brought us together was Jesus. In various ways, it was Jesus. And we came to be encouraged and we came to encourage others. And it's that simple. And I don't want to take away from people's history, but we have to get past it and we've got to move on to it because we've got more for it. All right, so this vessel, there are other tensions. There's other things that cause us, other lines that we have to deal with. There's class tension. There's this talk about the one percenters or those that are in poverty. Here again, we could debate all day along what's poverty, what level is poverty, you know, when do you have enough? There's tension over uh, gender. Um, just found out yesterday, didn't know this, that there are 66 classes of gender on Facebook. That sounds chaotic to me. <laughs> the way I understood it, there were only two genders but we'll talk about more like, do you see the lines that we're starting to get in our lives that we've got to figure out how to negotiate? All right, there's a uh, class. What's your last name? Who, who, who raised you? Where'd you grow up? What city, what town, what school did you go to? Or didn't you go to school? All right, there's tension over different religious points of view. We can argue all day long about these differences, these lines that we draw on our vessel in our lives. There's tension over truth. Everybody gets to have their own truth until God talks. All right, so we have all this noise, we have all this talk, but what's really going on? Are we gonna get anywhere? Are we gonna have any agreement, any resolution or any progress? How do we live this way? The way I see it, there are only two ways. Uh, maybe a third one, you could run off and be off the grid and not talk to people. But really, practically, there's two ways. One, we get really, really good at debating. We argue, we out-argue other people. We use ad hominem fa fallacies. We just do whatever we can because there's no right or wrong. It's what we want. We want to win the argument. I don't think it sounds worthwhile. It sounds tiring to me. It sounds chaotic. Trying to outdo others just to get our point across. But you know what? If you don't believe in Jesus, I don't know what other option you have. All you have left is your own efforts. How can you outdo the other person? Or we could refocus on God's design, like we talk about and we love and we want you to get that. Learn from his example and communicate how Jesus communicated in truth and in grace. Paul gives us an example of this in 2 Corinthians 1. Verse 12, he says, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience. This is what we believe. We know this to be true. That we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity. It just sounds good, doesn't it? It's not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God. There it is. By the grace of God. And supremely so toward you. So he's talking about truth, and he's talking about doing it graciously, in grace. And I, I'm going to talk a little bit later about being bold 
There's this definition of meekness is that boldness under control. We need to be that. It doesn't it even sounds more pleasant, but being bold can be pleasant to live with simplicity and sincerity. So we live in the world, but our thinking is not of the world. Now I could go back to each of these lines, and if I look at them from God's point of view, I can dissolve them. You know, I can say, where you're born, the status doesn't matter because your value is not based on net worth. You know, I could go back and say there is only one race, and scientists even agree on that based on the genome studies. But we know that when you go look a person in their eyes, that they have the same concerns that you have. They have the same needs, and they have the same desire to love other people that you have. So we're all one. We're brothers and sisters. The rights. Everybody wants to talk about their rights. Rights are given by God. And we have to understand this, that government is instituted to help monitor those and distribute those, but really rights are given by God. Gender, we talked about that. And we've got to continue to push on understanding the special role that God's designed men and women to have. And we can do it lovingly. We, we can do it warmly and winsomely, but we've got to be clear, otherwise we don't have an argument because we're not prepared just to outdo people. That's not our design. And religion, this is one of my favorite ones, and it has come up in almost every message that we've talked about because we have these rules that we set up to try to point to God, and then they get twisted. And don't think for a second it's not that Satan behind it. That is his work. So all the religions, there is one religion, and it's not even a religion, it's really a relationship, one true relationship with Jesus. And truth, I'll mention it earlier, there is only one truth. Just study math. No, I'm just kidding. Um, okay, so these are all my thoughts on this. And, and I'm telling you that my thoughts come from the Word of God. But how do we get people to listen to that? How do we get them to buy into it, to understand, and then to affect change? This has got to go somewhere, all this talk. We've been using this book I mentioned earlier, and in one of the chapters, Scott talks about being a hypocrite uh, versus a work in progress. And it really kind of struck me because it's one of those lines that we have to cross when we look at our value, our image, where we're made, how we're made, and what God has in store for us. So I want you to grasp the differences that we identify with each other are not to be used as a whip, a W-H-I-P, to manipulate people or to rule over them. So when you see differences, that's not there to whip them. It, these lines are there to prevent, not to prevent us from relationship, they're to the starting point to relate to people. So we're called to work together. I am a work in progress, a WIP whip, if you will. So are we gonna live as a whip and manipulate people or try to outdo them? Are we gonna treat them and us consider ourselves a work in progress. I'm gonna to try to develop this idea a little bit more. Scott talked about the idea that these lines we draw, either man-made or God-designed differences, offer us a choice to treat people differently or to love them in spite of their differences. Do you get that? We could choose to treat them differently, and a lot of times we do, but that that's not the choice we want to take. We want to say, hey, I, I noticed this about you. 
And, and that's great. I understand that either God has designed you that way or it's a stepping off point. You know, we're, we naturally can go to people that we're like, but we need to cross the lines and relate to them. And along those same lines, when we recognize that we're a, a work in progress, understanding where God's got us, we have this boldness again and this credibility of being made in his image because we're all hypocrites, really. We all screw this up, and we could say, you know what, I'm not very good. I'm going to back off and just not go say something to that person because they, they, know, they know who I am, really. But that's not what Jesus died for. Jesus died to take that away. God set you back up, so you're back in Genesis 1 and 2, living very good, not under Genesis 3, the pride and the guilt and the shame. So we, can't, we can get beyond our hypocrisy. Now, if you think about it, look in the Bible, it don't have to go very far, and you start finding hypocrites, and you start finding ways that God's used them. And the, the perfect one, the one that always gets used, and I'll use it again, is David. He committed adultery. He committed murder to cover up adultery. But then God stepped in, and he repented. His heart was purified. His heart was clean. He was renewed, and he was restored. If I don't know, there are, we go through hundreds of hypocrite stu studies in the Bible, and we all fit there. So we got to get past that and see that God does use us. Though so we're all hypocrites through Christ and with Christ, and because of Christ, we are never hopelessly and terminally stuck in our hypocrisy. A central focus of the vision of Jesus is to save us from our sin, and in the process, to save us from ourselves. But in saving us from ourselves, Jesus also aims to transform us over time into his own likeness. In God's design, all of this stuff takes time. And we've got to understand that. So get rid of your impatience and trust in him. I know that's easier said than done. Um, okay, I'm going to skip that part because we continue to talk about Genesis 1 and 2. But uh, it was very good. We've got to give up on the, the shame and the guilt and the pride and give that to Jesus. So this first point that I really want you to walk away with is to accept God's forgiveness and to show a meekness that reflects the image of God. If, if this vessel is made in the image of God, there ought to be something different about it. There's a power to being made in the image of God. And then the second point I'm gonna to continue to develop here is that we are in God's hands we're he has this relentless grip on him on us that love that won't let go and i was reading yesterday and i didn't get it put into my notes but isaiah 59 verse 21 i want to read this to you and this is is the lord speaking through isaiah he says as for me this is my covenant with them so god's saying this my spirit who is on you and my words that I have put in your mouth will not depart from your mouth or from the mouths of your children or from the mouths of their descendants. From this line on and forever, says the Lord. When the Holy Spirit fills us, God's not going to let go. He changes you. And there's a power and a life in that. It's life-giving. 
I want you to get this I want to give you an example and it, it, you may think it's a stretch because when people do what seems like miraculous things, we think, well, how could they do that? Well, they do it one day at a time and they do it by living out a worldview one day at a time. William Wilberforce, he was instrumental in changing the laws of England to make slavery illegal. He believed that there was a necessary reformation of morality though, along with the reformation of structural force. I wanna say that a little differently so you get it. He recognized that society needed to be reminded of politeness, that society needed to be reminded of humility and a respect for human life. And until he could do that, he knew that the laws of the land weren't gonna change. So while he was working to change the laws, he was working to promote a revival, if you will, an understanding of God's design and what he wants people to do in living out their lives. Our, our debate in this election season is much the same. It's twofold. We want structural change at the government level, but we need to have people reformed first. For arguing for laws that are basically our, our moral choices, we've got to change from the ground up. So my point is, yes, we need to talk and discuss and debate at this governmental level, but foundationally we need to stress personal choice and personal growth. The impact that we as individuals, as families, and as the church have, we need to live out the doctrines taught in the Bible, the things that we talk about each week here, the things that you need to do on your own. You know, you can be given some doses of Christ and the Holy Spirit, but are they going to be enough to get over the lines? You know, we need to keep coming back to these because those lines are still there. In Wilberforce's time, it took 20 years of politics. It took 20 years of this teaching, all the maneuvering in the government to have the slave trading made illegal. Now, I want you to slow down and think about that. Just the slave trading became illegal after 20 years. It took another 16 years for it to become illegal to own slaves in England. So 36 years, uh, let's just say God had a hold of his heart and God wasn't letting go. And it changed his whole day, every day, that that was his point. But it was long and he knew that God had his whole life in mind, not just today and not just these individual lines, his whole life. So therefore it was obviously a work in progress. His life and his work were a process. That brings me back to us today. What can we do to work across these lines? Well, in a short phrase, it's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The gospel is the key to structural change because it's the key to personal change. And the more that we sit at his feet and the more we think and talk and act like him, we change. And I wanna, there's this huge caveat here. We change, but the fruit that we have, we gotta be careful that, that we don't start to worship it because that's not what it's about. It's still about Jesus. And if we worry about the fruit, we still have lines. We've got to keep going. We've got to keep pursuing him. 
Our response, our reaction is driven by truth and a continued grace to receive it and to give it back out. It's a conduit that becomes a relationship, not a debate. So when you say you're in a debate, you're really in a relationship. How are you handling that relationship? John Piper, in his book, The Bloodlines, has a section on the power of the gospel. And the aim of the gospel is the creation of people who are passionate for doing good rather than passionless avoidance of evil. It's not about avoiding things. It's about going towards it, doing things. Do you see that the lines of our lives inhibit our good works and our relationships? In the work of Satan, it's the work of Satan. So we're to speak truth. We're to be introducers and encouragers. We're not to judge. We're to live by giving grace, understanding this forgiveness that we've given, that we've been given. There's no going back. We don't go back to guilt and shame and pride. We go forward with what God's given us and that renewal, and we trust him. Even if it takes 36 years to get a law changed, we trust him. And we're to give grace. We forgive people, even if they're not ready for it, because God grows us when we forgive others. Don't judge, don't allow these lines to stop us and maybe direct us, but they, they can direct us, but they don't want to stop us from relating to people, whatever the lines are. Now, as we continue to have lines in our lives, we're going to have to continue to pursue God and to be filled with him. And it may take 20 years and it may, we may not even see it for a long, long time. And you may think, oh no, this is where I'm going to be. I'm just good enough in my sins, but those lines are still there. We've got to keep pouring into him so he can keep pouring into us. And when we see that grace is more than just helping us stay where we're at, God has this bigger vision that helps us to see his vision that helps to see a power and a start to change in our lives. And when we're filled and overflowing, the lines start to disappear, they get washed away. And we don't have lines anymore in our lives. We're filled with the Holy Spirit, and we're overflowing, and we're impacting others. So I wanna leave you with this, this visual of the lines being washed away, but the understanding that it's the Holy Spirit pursuing us and us allowing that grace to be in our lives and, and to fill us every day. I just ask that you would open your hearts as we finish praying. And we're gonna sing this song, Broken Pieces, Amazing Grace. Here, I want you to think through and allow God to work and to soften you. Join me. Lord, we have continued to study this message on these lines and the grace that you offer. Help us to understand how it changes and see those changes and then to give it back out to cross lines to talk to people walk across the room to to love them in spite of the inconvenience it is for us because you went through all that inconvenience for us let us hear your word through these songs through this worship and then to give it back and we pray this all in jesus name amen <laughs>